This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. And this is the week of June 28th through July 2nd, 2021. This is the first week of Dr. Sanjay Gupta as guest host. Uh, I was impressed. I thought he seemed very natural. Agreed. Yes. Very easy in that in that role. Mm-hmm. I think like many guest hosts, he is finding his way into the right tone for delivering the correct answer to a triple stumper. Mm. That seems like it's a real tough part of being the Jeopardy host. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like I saw him experimenting with that a little bit over the course of the week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure he's perfected it. And like, and Alex Trebek still got some heat for being like, you know, kind of condescending or coming across as like a disappointed dad, yeah. you know, when he would give the correct answer. Right. So I'm not, I, I think it's just a tough thing to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I thought he seemed, he seemed natural and comfortable in the role. I thought, you know, his delivery was good. I liked his contestant interactions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he did well. Well, on Monday, June 28th, we have the contestants Spencer Pace, a store operations associate originally from Boston, Massachusetts, Courtney Shaw, a community college instructor from Portland, Oregon, and Austin Weiss, a pediatrician from San Diego, California, whose one-day cash winnings total $12,900. We have the Jeopardy round categories Rock Bands, Talking Heads, Journey, America, The Cars, and Soundgarden. Those are all rock bands. Whoa! I understand that joke. <laughs> I, I get that reference. Yes. yes. And Spencer sort of got out to a lead and had a nice steady build through the Jeopardy round. Mm-hmm. Um, things got a little more shaken up in the double Jeopardy round, but the graph of the of the first round has Spencer kind of taking and maintaining a lead by quite a bit. Yeah. I like a pretty graph. <laughs> yeah, he, he seemed to be quickest on the buzzer for sure. Yeah. I correctly guessed a $1,000 level triple, triple stumper about a rock band. So, hey, nice. uh, fans of this current band are known as Fire Breathers. Uh, that's Imagine Dragons. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that that was what the fans were called, but I had kind of a what else could it be? I also did not know... <laughs> Uh, what that was, my guess went to Dragon Force, which I know is a mm. band or was. Oh, but you Imagine Dragons makes more sense. Mm. But I knew dra- I got to the dragon part, so I felt okay about that. Oh, we had a very prescient clue in the Talking Heads at six hundred. Uh, this Secretary of Defense during the Iraq War offered: "There are also unknown unknowns, the ones we don't know, we don't know." And that was recently departed. Mm. Donald Rumsfeld. Yes. Talking heads. I would have guessed that it would be like the head, like heads of state. But with the inclusion of Helen Keller, these aren't like heads of state or heads of their organization. Uh, It's just talking heads and that these are things that people said. And it fits the theme of the bands. Mm hmm. 
Daily Double number one comes up at the $800 level of Journey. It's the 19th pick, and Courtney finds this one. She's at $2,200 and wagers $1,400. At this point, Spencer's at $5,200 and Austin is at $400. She gets the clue. An epic poem that begins by talking about a hero's travels gave us this word for a journey. And she does not come up with a response. They're looking for Odyssey. Yeah. I don't know. That one came to me pretty quick, but... I got to it, too, although I thought the the writing was a little weird, and I wondered if they were looking for something else. Yeah, because it says um, that talking about a hero's travels rather than talking about a specific hero's travels, right? Like, it's not... Yes. It's not an incorrectly worded one. It just... it's It seems more general than mm-hmm. you might expect. Yep. Yeah, I also, I think, maybe would have expected or would have been more confident if the clue had made it clear that the title of the epic poem is is the word yeah. that they're looking for. Yeah, something like um, that. Yeah, so, uh, so Courtney drops down some, um, but plenty of money on the board in double Jeopardy. Um, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Spencer's at 6,600. Courtney has uh, made it back up to 3,000. Austin is at 2,600. And we get the Double Jeopardy categories, novellas, Islamic history, A before E, each response will have the letter sequence AE in it, James Beard, Chef of the Year, Science, and Channel Islands. I liked that Islamic history category in that it was Islamic history. Yes. Just in general, it was nice. Yeah, not especially sort of uh, deep yeah. knowledge of Islamic history required here. You know, what did what did soldiers put pages of on their lances, which led to the fighting stopping in a 657 battle? That's the Quran. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the main branch, the two main branches of Islam, Sunni and Shia, right? Like these are, these are, pretty approachable i thought yeah. uh even at the even at the two thousand dollar level you needed to name a mystic form of islam and that's um i mean that's sufism you don't yeah like we don't know many really any others right mm-hmm. yeah so yeah I, I feel like sort of the trivia canon requires pretty deep and specific knowledge of christianity and judaism and less specific knowledge of islamic history um mm. And that's that's too bad because there's a lot to learn yeah, <laughs> there, you know. Uh, but I'm glad that they're covering it at all, right. you know. Yeah. If you're going to be on Jeopardy, you should know all the titles of Gabriel Garcia Marquez's books, even if you don't read them. Mm. Uh, there's a triple stumper in the novellas category at the $2,000 level. In English, Cronica de una muerte anunciada by Gabriel Garcia Marquez is titled Chronicle of This and... If you just know that there is a title, Chronicle of a Death Foretold, then you would know that that's what it is, with, mm-hmm. without having to know what it's about. Yep. Which is how I knew it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think Jeopardy's ever going to ask you to know, like, a whole lot about the, like, the characters or the plot right. of uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez's work. Just the titles. Mm. So, it's, I couldn't bring that one to mind in time, oh. though. Daily Double number two is actually very early in the round. 
Uh, it's pick number two. It's in the James Beard Chef of the Year category. Austin finds it. He is at 3,800. Courtney's at 3,000. Spencer is up at 6,600. And he bets it all, which I like. Yep. He gets a clue. Alice Waters, the first woman to win the award, won for Chez Panisse in this California college town. And he gets a correct with what is Berkeley. I seem to recall you teaching me about that. Yes, I had a quiz question about Alice Waters. Yes, you did. Um, yes. And I recognized it. Yay! Learning. Yeah. So he doubles up. Yeah. I liked that whole James Beard Chef of the Year category. I couldn't remember Jose Andres' name in time, although I have eaten at one of his restaurants. Ooh, ooh awkward. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I liked I liked that whole category. Um, Daily Double number two is at the $2,000 level of science. It's the 25th pick. And Austin finds this one as well. At this point, he has made it up to 14400 Courtney's at 9000 Spencer is just ahead of him at 15000 And he bets 4000 and gets the clue. This physicist's effect is the change in a wave's frequency based on this relative motion between observance, uh, observer and source. And he correctly responds, what is the Doppler effect? Mm-hmm. A little easy, I thought, for a $2,000 clue, but... Yeah, agreed. But but there we are. And so at the end of the double jeopardy round, we have the scores. Austin is at 20,400. Courtney is at 11,400. And Spencer is at 15,000. These are some high scoring people here. Mm-hmm. And the final jeopardy category is monarchies. And the clue, the future Charles I suddenly became next in line to the throne of Austria in this year. Courtney in third place wrote, what is 1914? And that is correct, when Franz Ferdinand was assassinated. And Mm -hmm. she wagered 4,000. So she moves up to 15,400. Spencer wrote, what is 1,500? I guess maybe just picking a date. I don't know what's significant for Austrian 1,500. Uh, And he wagered everything but a dollar. So he drops down to one. And Austin wrote, what is 1945? End of the Second World War. That is also incorrect, and he wagered 9700 so Courtney Shaw, from third place, is our winner. Mm-hmm. If Jeopardy is going to ask you for a specific year, there's like only really, I think, a handful of specific years they're going to ask you to produce. Mm-hmm. And so there is kind of, I feel like there's this meta game of like having to recognize that this is a final Jeopardy clue And so it's going to be a year of, like, some very significant cultural, you know, historical event. Yeah. You know, like, there's a short list, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, 1066 is the year we need to know. 1914, 1945, right? Like, like, there's not a whole lot of specific years where they're going to be, like, produce the four digits. So on Tuesday, June 29th. We have the contestants Jow Stroming, a homemaker from Kildare, Illinois, Jay Morris, a senior client consultant from San Rafael, California, and Courtney Shaw, a community college instructor from Portland, Oregon, with one-day cash winnings totaling 15400 And we have the Jeopardy round categories, monuments and memorials, anagrams of each other, a non-alcoholic category, pop culture relatives, with a question mark, uh, they're... They're going to give you um, descriptions of 
people or characters who share a last name and you will need to provide full names for for both or all. Mm-hmm. So close. And here's your constellation prize. I thought the non-alcoholic category was fun. It was all things that had things or people that had names shared with alcoholic beverages, but they were asking about the the, the one that wasn't an alcohol. Right. So like uh yeah, so like at the $800 level without the help of melon liqueur in 1989, Midori Ito became the first Asian world champion in this winter sport. Uh, that was figure skating, but like Midori is a melon liqueur, so Midori Ito shares a name with an alcohol. So it was it was all that kind of thing. Yep, thought it was thought it was a cute category. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the pop culture relatives I thought was interesting, if a bit clunky. I, it felt mm. it felt clunky to me. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in the So Close category. It is at the $600 level. Pick number 13, uh, Jay finds it. He's at $1,600. Courtney's at $2,600 and Zhao's at $600. And he bets it all. He gets the clue. One of these of the first kind means seeing a UFO in some sort of detail. And he gets it correct with what is a close encounter. Yeah, apparently a close encounter of the third kind is when you actually see an extraterrestrial. I don't know what the second kind is. I don't either. A UFO event in which a physical event, a physical effect is alleged. Mm. Interference in the functioning of a vehicle or electronic device, animals reacting, a physiological effect, mm. or some physical trace like impressions on the ground. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Now we know. Now we know indeed. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Courtney is at 5,200, Jay is at 3,800, and Zhao's at 1,400. And we get the double Jeopardy category, categories, past lives, Mediterranean geography, lit puri, another puri, aviation, four, no, five golf movies, and okay, you can boo, boo in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. And we ended up leaving a couple on the board yeah. in this round mm-hmm. in the aviation category, which I bet you liked and would have liked to see. Oh, yeah. Nobody knew my beloved Francis Hodgson Burnett novel at the $1,200 level of Lit Paris. Sarah Crew is the title lass in this beloved children's book by Francis Hodgson Burnett. That is a little princess. Oh. Courtney tried What is the Secret Garden. There was a there was kind of a, a, a nice if saccharine adaptation of a little princess the move like a movie that came out sometime in the 90s i guess um yeah a little princess sounds like it's going to be you know kind of palace fairy tale ish but the the title i think is a reference to like the protagonist's kind of imagination or like a like a game she plays or something Mm -hmm. in fact she is a, a child who oh no you know what it's Early in the book, like, her father is wealthy and she's, you know, she's left at a boarding school where she's going to be, you know, treated like a little princess. And then uh, he is, he's in a war and, like, you know, assumed dead and the money runs out and, like, the headmistress is wicked and, you know, it's, she falls on hard times and is, becomes a servant in the, in the school and, you know, and then there's, like, a, um dramatic reunion anyway i loved that one i read that one until the cover fell off nice that same category is where we find daily double number two 
it's at the $800 level and it's the sixth pick. Uh, Zhao finds this one. She has 5,000 to Courtney's 6,000 and Jay's 5,400. She tries to make it into first place by wagering 2,000 and gets the clue. Gandhi said this 1849 essay by Henry David Thoreau left a deep impression upon me. Mm. Uh, She tried what is Walden. If you're trying to think of one work by Henry David Thoreau, that's the one to think of. But uh, yeah, this is a little bit of a deeper cut. Uh, Civil disobedience is what they're looking for here, from which was an influence in Gandhi developing his philosophy of nonviolent resistance. Mm -hmm. Yep. Daily Devil number three is pick number 21. Courtney finds it. Uh, She is up to 10,400. Jay is at 10,200, and Zhao is at 5,000. It's in the Mediterranean geography category at the $800 level. She gets the clue, eight miles wide at its narrowest. This strait separates Europe and Africa, and she gets it correct with, what is the Strait of Gibraltar? I'd hope so. Mm-hmm. She must listen to the podcast. That's That must be why she knew it. That must be why she knew it. Yeah. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Courtney's at 13,200. Uh, Jay is at 11,800, Zhao is at 7,000, and we have the final Jeopardy category, Colors and History. And the clue, a blue pigment and a shade of blue popular in shirts, are named for these, the two opposing nations in an 1870 to 1871 war. Zhao responds... What is Britain and France? Uh, she's wagered 6201, so that drops her down to 799. Jay tried what is indigo and and then couldn't cu- come up with a second guess. They're looking for nations. I don't think indigo is... Oh, you know what? It is related, like, deep in the Greek roots, it is related to India. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so so indigo actually does share an etymology with India, but that's not what they were looking for, and they were looking for the countries in any case. And he's wagered everything but a dollar. So he drops down, and Courtney has the correct response with what are France and Prussia. I knew that Prussian blue was going to be one of them, and then I couldn't think... I, I thought about France and, like, French blue didn't come to mind. Yeah, I also didn't think of French French blue, but I, I knew Prussian blue. And I was like, if it's the year is right for the yeah. Franco-Prussian Franco-Prussian War. Franco-Prussian War, yeah. I was like, France blue. Like, no, it's not, not a thing. Uh, I should have should have just stuck with it. But anyway, Courtney got it. Um, yeah. And she wagered 10500 That is a cover bet and a bit. Uh, which takes her up to 23,700. So that makes her the champion going into Wednesday. And on Wednesday, we have the contestants Abby Furnish, a government analyst from Washington, D.C., S.A. Chenoy, a student originally from Newark, Delaware, and Courtney Shaw, a community college instructor from Portland, Oregon, whose two day cash winnings total $39,100. And we get the Jeopardy round categories World of Empires, Birds in Book Titles. Sports and Society, add an S to the front, awards and honors, and we'd like to thank the Academy. I I enjoyed Abby and Courtney getting all the correct answers in the sports and society category. (laughs) Yeah. With no shade intended to SA, who did great, you know, but 
there's kind of this uh like oh like the women aren't going to be at, good at sports right uh sort of assumption in the jeopardy community which you know is often correct for a bunch of reasons but anyway yeah they answered all of them courtney and abby got all five on the on the first try we had a triple stumper they clearly don't listen to the podcast in the birds and book titles $600 level Beatrix Potter wrote and illustrated the tale of this puddle duck. Essay guessed who is Peter Rabbit. And then its face. Yeah, not a puddle duck. <laughs> like... Beatrix Potter, you think Peter Rabbit, that's fine. Uh, that's Jemima mm. Puddle Duck. Jemima Puddle Duck. One of the many pointless stories <laughs> of that collection. Yeah, I don't know. Beatrix Potter had to walk so that somebody else could fly i don't know um (laughs) i don't know it's it's beatrix potter they're sweet they're sweet cozy stories that introduced uh extensive merch sales around items of like children's literature Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was the main thing i learned is that like this whole institution of like having like you know dishes and toys and whatever um related to the books and now i guess now tv shows and things that your children like like beatrix potter is to blame <laughs> or to credit for all of that anyway daily double number one we find almost at the very end of the round it's the 29th pick at the thousand dollar level of awards and honors Abby finds it. Uh, she's at 5,200 at this point in the lead to Courtney's 4,600 and Essay's 3,400. And she wagers 2,000 and gets the clue. In 2003, this Auckland-born man was the first foreigner made an honorary citizen of Nepal. And she correctly responds, who is Hillary, Edmund Hillary, mm-hmm. uh, who climbed Mount Everest. Yes, indeed. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Abby is in the lead with 7,400. Courtney's at 4,600. SA is at 3,400. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, Star Spangled Banter, Mapping the Midwest, Colorful Vocabulary, Magazines, The Director's First Feature Film, and Aria Grande. That's, That's an opera. Mm-hmm. category yes it is essay fell into a uh obscure trivia trap at the two thousand dollar level of magazines uh the clue was calling itself the oldest general interest monthly in america this magazine with a famous index turned 170 in 2020 he responded what is harper's weekly that is incorrect although harper's weekly is also a magazine, mm-hmm. um, but they were looking for the monthly, which is Harper's Magazine. And I th- think, is there a relation? That may be no relation. Um, oh, no, founded by the same company. Sort of both published by Harper Collins mm. or founded by, yeah. But they're, from what I understand, they're pretty different publications. Mm. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about the Aria Grande category uh good felt real good yeah thought they were thought they were fine um if a if a bit simple for a double jeopardy category but Mm, yeah 
Good. So Daily Double number two is pick number five in the round. It's in the mid- Mapping the Midwest category. It's at the $1,600 level, and Abby finds it. She is at 9800 Courtney's at 4600 and SA is at 7000 She wagers 2000 She gets the clue, cities along this river that share its name with a state capital include Ottumwa and Fort Dodge. And she just kind of blanks on it. And that is the Des Moines mm-hmm. River. And Daily Double number three is the 29th pick at the 1600 level of Aria Grande. SA finds this one. He's at 10,600. Uh, Courtney's at 10,200. Abby is at 9,400. He does not like this category. No. Uh, he wagers He wagers $5. Yep. Uh, he gets the clue. Susanna sings the beautiful aria De Vieni Non Tardar in this Mozart opera that promises nuptials. And he looks sort of annoyed yeah. <laughs> that they've just sort of, <laughs> uh, at, a, at a $1,600 level opera question, they're like, a Mozart one about a wedding. Uh, right. <laughs> he correctly responds, what is the marriage of Figaro? Yeah. If he'd known, <laughs> then he would have made a bigger wager. Right. Um, but I thought, you know, if he's not confident in the category and he's in the lead, not risking his lead on a on a category he knows he's not good at is you know smart, and then he gets the two thousand dollar level, right, <laughs> uh, and gets it correct, <laughs> which brings him up into the lead because it's the last clue of the round. Uh, so mm-hmm. going into final jeopardy, Courtney's at ten thousand two hundred. Uh, SA, I guess he was still in the lead, but he was, yeah, he was in a very slim lead, yeah, but he's up to uh, you know twelve thousand. 605, and Abby is at 9,400. So they're all pretty close. Mm-hmm. They get the final Jeopardy category, 20th century novels, and the clue is British biochemist J.B.S. Haldane's essay on ectogenesis, Birth Outside the Womb, helped inspire this 1932 novel. Abby wrote what is metamorphosis. That is incorrect. Mm-hmm. And she wagered 5,600. Courtney... In second place, not in the lead, wrote What is Brave New World? And that is correct. Mm-hmm. And she had wagered 8,800. S.A. wrote What is Steppenwolf? Which we know is incorrect, and he wagered 8,000. So Courtney, not in first place going in, once again, is our winner. Mm-hmm. I read Brave New World, like, way, way back, and guessed this one correctly, but... yeah. Was, I was not confident. Yeah, me neither. I haven't. I read it in high school, and I was like, "Is that?" It, it's what came to mind, and I was like, "Is that what it mm-hmm. is? Maybe that's what it is." Yeah, yeah, but that's what it was. So on Thursday, July first, we have the contestants Leanne Zobrist, a law clerk from Boyd's, Maryland; Marciano Lopez, a bartender from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania; and Courtney Shaw a community college instructor from Portland, Oregon, who has three-day cash winnings totaling 58100 And we have the Jeopardy round categories, nonfiction, landforms, 14-letter words, the movie in question, C as in cat, and Boston News Clues, presented by the WBZ News Team. They struggled with that nonfiction category, two correct answers. In the whole category. Yeah. Those were those were tough. Those were tough. 
for, for especially for a for a you know single jeopardy round i i think i agree yeah uh, we did talk about the mosquito being the deadliest predator mm-hmm. humans. that's um, right mm-hmm. the 14 letter words man i i don't know why i had such a hard time with that category I, I I don't know if I just kept forgetting that it was fourteen letter words or what, but mm. <laughs> I think I missed every single one of them. Oof. Um, I think I got most of them. The the it was a thing that's tricky about it. I think is fourteen letters sounds like it's going to be like a really long word, but like fourteen letters, as far as English words go, is like long-ish. Yeah, but not. Super, super long, right? Gentrification. Reconnaissance. Mm-hmm. Reconnaissance is the one that I missed. And actually, so did the contestants. They tried surveillance mm-hmm. and counter-surveillance. Which I think is way too long. Yeah. But Daily Double number one is in that nonfiction category. It's pick number 18 at the $1,000 level. Marciano finds it. Uh, he is at 1000 Courtney's at 4,000, Leanne's at 2,400, and he bets it all. That's what he should. Mm-hmm. He gets the clue. This author's first major book was 1742's A Short Treatise on the Game of Whist. And he takes a guess from the time period, I guess, and says, who is Adam Smith? Uh, but that's Edmund Hoyle. Did you know that name? I did not know that name. Uh, I, for- I always forget his first name, but I know Hoyle. Like, the rules for all card games, basically, are Hoyle's rules. So, like, the... The basic poker hands oh, okay. and all of that comes from Hoyle. Hmm. If I if Good if, to know. if my knowledge is correct, I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure that's I associate the name Hoyle with playing cards. Alright. Well, I'll file it away. Edmund Hoyle. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Marciano took kind of a hit after that. He uh he just had trouble getting off the ground in this first round. So he is at zero. He's out of the hole. Leanne is at thirty eight hundred and Courtney's at five thousand. And we get the Double Jeopardy category is the 1st of July. Trying on some jeans. Jeans. G-E-N-E-S. The three R's are in quotation marks. Innovative Women, The Masked Musician, and Tis Shakespeare. I feel like they've been really been working the uh, Independence Day adjacent categories really, like, all week. Uh, <laughs> sure. Uh... The first of July is not super Independence Day adjacent, but but also still feels like like what a, like what else is it even tangentially referencing? Right, like it wouldn't. It's hard to imagine, you know, a, a category called like the first of August, mm-hmm. um, you know, or the first of June. So they might do it, but they might call that this day in history, or you know, something right. like that. Yeah, something right? not not like yeah. Oh, 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 oh. In the masked musician at the $2,000 level, we had the clue, known for ghosts and stuff, this Canadian DJ got some help with his distinctive rodent look Mm -hmm. from the Jim Henson Company, and rodent is in quotation marks. Marciano rang in and said, who is dead Mao? And Sanjay Gupta accepted his answer, but corrected the pronunciation to dead mouse. Um, And I said, how could they accept that? You know, because it's dead mouse. And and, uh, my my spouse sitting next to me said, spell dead mouse for you, for for me. And I I said, it's D-E-A-D-M-A-U and then the digit five. And he's like, well, he pronounced all of the letters. Letters, Yeah. He pronounced all the letters. Yep, that's that's exactly the thought I had. I was like, you know, it's not... If you if you're just reading it, I I get it. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. In some ways, I, I feel like pronouncing it 
dead Mao is more correct. The, yeah, more correct. Like the like the more cautious yeah. option, knowing the Jeopardy rules, right? right? Like if you're not sure whether the five is silent or whether it's like dead Mao five or like I think sort of letter of the law, like you're gonna you're gonna have an appeal if you say dead Mao, but not if you say dead mouse and it turns out that, you know, like the five is silent or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Daily Double number two is in the innovative women category at the $800 level, and Courtney finds it on the fourth pick. She has $5,800 at this point. She's in the lead. Leanne is uh, $2,000 behind her at $3,800. Marciano is at $400. And she wagers $2,800 and gets the clue. In the early 1900s, Melita Bentz used a piece of blotting paper to create this and then a company to make them. She doesn't know. She tries what is makeup. Uh, the correct response here is coffee filters. And once I heard it, I was like, oh, right, Melita coffee filters. Um, I was trying to think of anything named after Bents or like a paper. Pro- like I thought about paper towels a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But Melita coffee filters are still a thing. Yeah, I know. I would never got there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and daily double number three is in the Tiz Shakespeare category at the $2,000 level. Uh, Courtney finds it. She is at 9400 Marciano's at 4000 Leanne is at 6600 This is pick number 18. Uh, she wagers 1000 only. She gets the clue. Give me my robe. Put on my crown. I have immortal longings in me, declares this character before taking her own life. And she goes with kind of the neg bait of like, oh, Shakespeare character character female takes her own life she says ophelia but it's the one who would have a crown and a robe Uh, that's cleopatra Mm -hmm. so she drops down by a thousand but then she is basically the only one to get anything right for the rest of the round i think marciano picks up one clue but kind of goes on a tear yep so at the end of the double jeopardy round courtney is in a lock position with 14,000. Um, I feel like at the end of the game, I saw Marciano kind of tracking the numbers pretty closely. Like I could mm-hmm. see him kind of looking toward the scoreboard. And I saw when he knew that even though there were clues left on the board, there was not a possibility to break Courtney's lock. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Courtney's at 14,000 with a lock. Marciano is at 4,800. Leanne's at 4,600. And we have the final Jeopardy category, Rivers. And the clue, in notes on the state of Virginia, Thomas Jefferson said the most beautiful river on earth is this one, no longer in Virginia. Leanne responded, what is the Monongahela? Is that a river? I don't know that one. It is a river. It goes through West Virginia. Oh, very nice. I knew that it had I knew that it was almost certainly a river that went through West Virginia, but I couldn't think what rivers went through West Virginia. All right, so that's an impressive guess. She's wagered 45.99, so she drops to a dollar. Marciano tries what is the Potomac. He's not too far off the correct region, but that's not it. He's wagered 4401, so he's dropping to 399. And Courtney has tried what is the Shenandoah, also not correct. 
Uh, she's wagered 42, so she drops to 13,958. The correct response here is the Ohio. Uh, 250 of its roughly 1,000 miles are in what is now West Virginia. I got that. And I'm not Congrats. sure. Yeah. I felt pretty good about it. Like it was a total guess, but I was like, okay, what's a major enough river that goes through West Virginia that has a notable like valley or whatever? Like, and I was like, oh, maybe Ohio. Maybe it's the Ohio because I know it goes through there mm-hmm. and it's a significant river. And I've heard the Ohio River Valley referred to in like positive terms. She put Monongahela. I was like, wow, that is a, that's, that's a deep pull there. It's impressive. Probably not ever going to be a final Jeopardy response that they're looking for. Pro- probably not, no. Yeah. And on Friday, we have the contestants Mackenzie Miller, a clinical trial researcher from Cincinnati, Ohio, Nancy Skinner, a grocery clerk from Warren, Maine, and Courtney Shaw, a community college instructor from Portland, Oregon, who's now four-day cash winnings, total $72,058. And we get the Jeopardy round categories, really similar flags, famous names, threes company, the shape of things, phrases you likely didn't do for real, and TV is so high school. I'll I'll let you take that first one. Ah, yes, we had my favorite TV show at the $200 level of TV is so high school. Sunnydale High seems like hell and sits atop an actual hell mouth. That, of course, is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Has it aged well? Eh, sort of. Um, <laughs> but it's great, and you should watch it. Better than some, probably not as well as others. <laughs> yep, great show. Let me also just say a quick word of apology. We've picked up recording and the uh, on the night of July 4th and the official pyrotechnics have concluded in my region um, but the amateur pyrotechnics continue so if you hear firework sounds on my audio that's why I'm really sorry yeah I'll do my best to get them out but that won't be you know a hundred percent Mackenzie got like there, there was some blowback about them accepting the $600 level uh, of phrases you likely didn't do for real. Uh, the clue there was studying for that test until dawn. You burned this timely two-word phrase, but probably not for real, as it's not 1855. And Mackenzie responded, what is the night oil? Uh, they were probably looking for the midnight oil, which is more common. Um, but when they're asking about idioms, they have to take anything that has been used as an idiom. So presumably there have been some usages of night oil right. enough that it was an acceptable alternate mm-hmm. response. Mm-hmm. I was watching with my parents and my dad said that like, well, they gave it to her. It's like, if it's ever been used that way. Mm-hmm. If, That's the thing yeah. about idiom categories. It's like, just because it's not the way you heard it doesn't mean it's never been said that way. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I purposely say idioms wrong so that my kids will grow up thinking that those are the normal ways. <laughs> Uh, do you have an example at the at the tip of your tongue? No, I don't. I wish I did. Okay. It's my small way of getting back at them for all of the sleepless nights. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I love my kids. Uh, <laughs> I wish I had come up with such a clever revenge. <laughs> No, it's not revenge. It's really just that I'm a goofball and I want want them to... I don't know. It's not even that. I just say things wrong for fun. Yeah. And then I realize Mm -hmm. that that will 
translate to the them best, thinking it's the right way. reference point, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oops. I feel like maybe there are some that I say wrong on purpose, and now I'm going to have to stop and, like, reassess yeah. next, time I, next time I realize what they are. Or, like, purposeful spoonerisms or whatever. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Daily Double One comes up at the $1,000 level of Three's Company. It's the 25th pick. Nancy finds this one. Um, she's at 4000 to Courtney's 2000 and Mackenzie's 1800 and she makes it a true Daily Double. You go, Nancy. Yeah. Uh, she gets the clue. In 2018, this company met its goal of producing 5,000 Model 3 sedans in a week. She sort of sighs heavily. You can see she's not uh, kind of picking up what the clue is here. She tries what is Mitsubishi. Mm-hmm. The trap that you fall into here, if you're not that familiar with cars, is to think that you're supposed to know who makes the Model 3 and that that's the only way of getting there, uh, getting to the correct response. Yeah. Um, but I am not that familiar with cars, and I thought 5,000 is not a huge number. Right. 2018, like, a well-established car company wouldn't be like, let's see how many cars we can make how fast. You know, so it's got to be, like, somebody new, like, who's a new car company that I would be, you know, sort of expected to know about as kind of a current events, like, business thing. That's Tesla. Yeah. Tesla is what they were looking for. So that drops her to zero, um, which is too bad because she'd built up a good lead. But, uh, you know, she that's that's the right move mm-hmm. in in the Jeopardy round, mm-hmm. even dropping to zero in at, at the 25th clue. You've got plenty of time and plenty of money on the board to make it up. Yep. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Mackenzie and Courtney are tied at twenty six hundred. Nancy's made it back up to twelve hundred. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, the art of the limerick. Other stuff happened in 1492, ends in the same vowel twice, Canadiana, Kiss Me Kate, and What a Fungi. That is, that's fungi, like, like fungus, mm-hmm. not like a, like a fun guy. I sort of like, and I, I have done this, uh, when, uh, when the contestants have taken it to some particular category and it's not going their way and then they sigh heavily and head back to some, you know, to some other category, yeah. uh, <laughs> which came up, oh gosh, was it in, I think they were the, like, uh, Mackenzie took us over to Art of the Limerick. We got a triple stumper and she sort of sighed and took us back to, to the fungus category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, those, those moments are always really funny to me when, when somebody like, sort of dip, starts to dip into a category that's like, never mind, never yeah. mind. Aport, aport, get out. Yeah. Yes. I've uh, had those feelings as well. Your recent question about eternal sunshine of the spotless mind helped me get the $2,000 clue in Kiss Me Kate. The clue is Kate Winslet kissed Jim Carrey in this film, but then she faded away. And the title came to mind more quickly because we talked about it. I, re- I could, like, I can picture it in my head, but sometimes I get the words mixed up or I forget the, mm-hmm. the specific title. And Mackenzie did a nice job pulling it and you could tell she was kind of checking her checking the name as she went along it's a tricky one Mm -hmm. to to recall yeah oh a lot of coffee this week Mm -hmm. we had the thing about like 
coffee growing in Yemen. We had the thing about the coffee filters. And then we had um, like a coffee fungus in the what a fun guy category. I feel like you, you could pull the coffee clues and almost make a coffee category. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I, I like that when they line up like that. Yeah. Daily Double number two is in the other stuff happened in 1492 category. They kept referring to it appropriately, like, you know, the contestants, you should shorten a long category name when you're calling for the next clue. But they kept calling it other stuff category. And I kept forgetting that it was 1492 because I'm just thinking, Mm, oh, it's just another like trivia, you know, just like general trivia category because it's just Mm -hmm. other stuff. Anyway, uh, it was at the $1,200 level. Mackenzie found it. It's pick number 10 in the round. She's at 7,400, Courtney is at 4,600, Nancy is at 3,200, and she wagered 3,000. She's building a good lead here. She gets a clue. This Florentine gave us Battle of the Centaurs, a relief now in Casa Buonarroti. And she gets it correct with who is Michelangelo. It took her a while to get there. I couldn't tell if she was just kind of like going through a list in her head or if she was just kind of narrowing it down to who the most likely one is, but... She got it. Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is the 23rd pick at the $1,600 level of Canadiana. Nancy finds this one. Nancy has 6000 at this point. Uh, she's in third place uh, with Mackenzie at 10800 and Courtney at 8600 Nancy wagers 3000 which I think is a reasonable wager in this situation. A bigger wager risks dropping her down too far to make it back into contention with uh, with just seven clues left on the board. And 3,000 is enough to kind of get her right up close to the lead so that she has a chance of taking the lead. She gets the clue, around the year 1,000, the Vikings established a small camp on this large eastern island. And she correctly responds, what is Newfoundland? Mm-hmm. Good pull there. For sure. And then there's this photo finish, uh, yeah. which... <laughs> Uh, which we had um, had a clue about photo finishes, where uh, the 30th clue is a $2,000 clue. And at that point, Mackenzie is standing at 11200 and Nancy's at 10200 And then uh, Nancy gets that $2,000 clue correct. That puts her ahead of Mackenzie at the very last second. So at the end of the round, Nancy is at 12200 Mackenzie is at 11,200 and Courtney's at 8,600. The final Jeopardy category is hit songs. And the clue is written in 1930. This song was a number one hit in 1960 and was covered by the band to support a 1976 presidential campaign. Oh, the band is capitalized. Yes. The band. It's hard to tell because Jeopardy, the Jeopardy font is entirely capitalized. All, all caps. Yeah. And uh, something about, um, oh, you know what? Actually, I, I fast forwarded past where, where uh, Sanjay Gupta read the clue. Mm. Um, so I was just reading it. I'm like, covered by what band? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> the band. The band. Uh, yes. Capital T, tap, capital B. Mm-hmm. Courtney wrote, what is Happy Days Are Here Again? That is incorrect. She made a small wager of 1400 A wise wager. Mm, agree. Mackenzie wrote, what is Barry? Not sure what she was going for. That's also incorrect. She wagered 6001 Uh And Nancy wrote, what is H? Which is also incorrect. 
and she made a cover bet of 10,300. But that's Georgia on my mind. Yes. Georgia on my mind. Hoagie Carmichael in 1930. Mm-hmm. Ray Charles in 1960. Yes. And Jiminy Carter in 1976. I thought of Georgia on my mind, although I was not confident. So. Yeah, I went. I was. I went to the 76 presidential candidate because I was like, that that narrows it down pretty much, you know, to yep. two people, right? Mm-hmm. Essentially. Uh, and as I thought of Carter and I was like, oh, yeah, George. Okay, that fits, mm-hmm. fits perfectly. Um, and, yep. And so yet again, coming into final, not in first place, and this time even in third place, Courtney secures a victory and she is now a five game winner. She has punched her ticket to the next Tournament of Champions in Mm -hmm. kind of an unlikely fashion. Yep. But a win's a win. That's right. There's skill involved in getting to a place where you can can win in a triple stumper, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. if you're, if you have not answered enough, you know, if you, if you don't rack up a high enough score for the other contestants to have to risk dropping below you, you know, then, then that doesn't happen. That's maybe that's sort of self-evident, but, um, but yeah, no, I think people, I I sometimes hear sort of casual Jeopardy viewers say, oh, it's so satisfying when somebody wins without really deserving it. But like you get up to 8,600 and people have to defend against you. Right. And so then when there's a really hard clue and you know to make a small wager, because that's how the strategy of that piece works, right? Like there's a lot of skill involved Mm -hmm. uh, along with luck. In getting that unlikely win from third place. Right. Right. Yeah, so we'll see you here next week. That's right. All right, so that's the end of the week. And this is our the point in the show where we once again remind you we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. You can find some stuff there as well as a button to uh, click which gives us money. Like mm-hmm. like the little, you know, Skinner box bar or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but you can go there and check it out if you want to uh, support us financially. Even if uh, you don't want to give us some money, you can still give us ratings or reviews on whatever podcatcher you use. Those help us out, get more listeners in here. And uh, it also makes us feel good to get nice reviews. So uh, if you want to yep. help us feel good, you could do that. That'd be nice. Mm. Would be so nice. And... Again, uh, you know, our we, our world and our country are still facing some issues, so we just want to direct you again to communityjusticeexchange.org, blacklivesmatter.com, and the uh, GoFundMe Stop Asian Hate uh, database if you are looking for places to uh, begin uh, directing your attention, time, and money to help mm-hmm. people out. Yes. All right, Emily. All right, Kyle. What are we talking about? Are we talking about Edmund Hoyle? Ooh, that's the big neg bait. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I that actually was my first choice, and then I started looking into it, and I was like, "There's not, there's like no information about him, really." And I was like, "I could talk about the games, but meh, I'll do something else." Okay. Uh, what about Sarah Bernhardt? Not Sarah Bernhardt. No. Okay, how about the Paleozoic era? How do you do this? I thought for <laughs> sure. I was like, there's no way she's getting it this week. 
I, I don't know. I'm just good like that. With all of the pro, there were a lot of good things. There was a lot. Yeah. How? Oh, yes. <laughs> Although we're not just talking about the Paleozoic era, we're doing another overview deep dive uh, of geologic ages and the geologic time scale. Oh, awesome! Because I realized, like, I don't know the order of these things. I know the names of some of them, but I have very little, like, it's a lot of guesswork for me when I'm talking about these. So figured it would help me and maybe help some listeners to maybe, you know, be able to put things a little bit more in order, have a little bit of better idea of what each thing is. Um, there are a lot, so I'm not going to go super deep. But that's what we're talking about, the ge- geologic right. time scale abbreviated GTS. It's a system of chronological dating that classifies geological strata using stratigraphy, which is a branch of geology. It's used by geologists, paleontologists, other earth scientists to describe the timing and relationships of events in geological history. Uh, This timescale was developed through the study and observation of layers of rock and relationships, as well as the times when different organisms appeared, evolved, and became extinct through the study of fossilized remains and imprints. Throughout history, uh, you know, back to ancient times, there have been, there's been terminology and thought about the ages of the Earth, but the currently accepted kind of system uh, are the nomenclature dates and standard color code set forth by the International Commission on Stratigraphy, the ICS. Uh, So the primary and largest catalog divisions of time are periods called eons or aeons, I guess. I'm going to pronounce it eons because it's an E. Uh, The first eon was the Hadean, starting with the formation of the Earth and lasting over 600 million years until the Archaean eon which was when the Earth had cooled enough for continents and the earliest known life to emerge. After about 2.5 billion years, oxygen generated by photosynthesizing single-celled organisms began to appear in the atmosphere, marking the beginning of the Proterozoic. And finally, the Phanerozoic Aeon encompasses 541 million years of diverse abundance of multicellular life, starting with the appearance of hard animal shells in the fossil record and continuing to the present day. So, eons are divided into eras, which are then divided into periods, which are divided into epochs, which are divided into ages. So it goes eon, era, period, epoch, age. Uh, The first three eons, which are also all of the eons except the Phanerozoic, uh, can be referred to collectively as the pre-Cambrian super eon. Hmm. And so this is all time before what's called the Cambrian Explosion, which was a massive diversification of multicellular life forms that took place in the Cambrian period at the start of the Phanerozoic era. Uh, so there is a lot. I'm not going to get into like how scientists discovered different eras and like determine that kind of thing. Really, uh, like it's like I said, they they look at fossil record, they look at uh, geological strata. They compare it to different parts of the Earth. They, you know, kind of determine extinction events and um, you know new species and geological events and everything, and kind of built it that way. Um, most of these ages or eras or epochs, most of these time periods overlap, right? There wasn't just like a day that it was like, okay, now we're in the next one. 
you know, they're they're working in millions of years, so there's a little bit of wiggle room there. Mm-hmm. Um, if we go back to ancient Greece, Aristotle observed that fossils of seashells and rocks resembled those found on beaches, uh, and he inferred that the fossils were formed by organisms, and that the uh, position of land and sea had changed over long periods of time. So this is all the way back to Aristotle. Leonardo da Vinci concurred with Aristotle's interpretation. Uh, there were Persian uh, polymaths and 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 thinkers who had the same kind of ideas, as well as you know philosophers and and scholars in China. Um, you know, a thousand years ago, also kind of coming up with these same kind of ideas. So this has been around for a long time. The idea, not only that the Earth is really old, but like you can actually tell how old things are. You can look at the the you know the fossils and the rocks and the geology and figure that out that way. There is a term called. Uh, Anthropocene, which I believe you mentioned, a recent book you read. Yes, the Anthropocene term. Reviewed mm-hmm. by John Green. It's so great. Yes, uh, that's an informal term used for the current epic, which the reason people use it is because uh, humans have humans have had a noticeable impact on the geology and uh, climate of the Earth, and mm-hmm. therefore. Our existence, especially within, I mean, the last hundred years, but our existence have had a real natural geological effect and therefore could be considered an age in and of itself. But it's not a, uh, it's not like uh, accepted by the International Commission on Stratigraphy yet. Um, I believe it actually was uh, proposed. I don't know if it has been adopted. So... There we go. That's kind of the, the groundwork. So here are here are the breakdown. So I mentioned the Precambrian Super Eon, broken up into the Hadean Eon, Archean Eon, and Proterozoic Eon. <clears throat> the Hadean is the earliest. It starts with the Cryptic Era, which is not, to my dissatisfaction, not actually when all of the uh, cryptids emerged. Uh, that would have been later. <laughs> Uh, but this is like the beginning, the formation of the Earth, formation of the Moon, early bombardment phase, formation of the Sun, like all of that, you know, earliest stuff. Um, then the Basin Groups era, which is the end of the early bombardment phase, and that's when the oldest known mineral, the zircon, kind of forms on Earth. Asteroids and comets bring water to Earth. Then there's the Nectarian era, which is the possible first appearance of plate tectonics. And then the early Imbrian era, uh, where we have indirect photosynthetic evidence of primordial life. So this is kind of the, the idea of maybe the first life forms on Earth. Uh, and it also goes into the beginning of the late heavy bombardment period. These are times when the Earth is being bombarded by, you know, things from space. And that's changing the geography and also the chemical makeup of the planet. Uh, then we get into the Archean Aeon, and that starts with the Eoarchean uh, era, simple single-celled life, probably bacteria and archaea, uh, show up, and we get some of the oldest probable microfossils. Uh, it's hard to tell when it's that old, but we think that's where it's from. Then we get the Paleoarchean era. This is when we get the first known oxygen-producing bacteria and the oldest definitive microfossils. Then the Mesoarchean, we get the first stromalites or sorry, stromatolites, uh, they are layered sedimentary formations that are created by photosynthetic cyanobacteria. 
And then the last part is the Neoarchean, uh, which is the stabilization of most modern cratons. A craton is uh, like a, an old and stable part of the continental lithosphere. Uh, and so that this is kind of when the upper layers of the Earth's crust begin to solidify a little bit more. Um, and by the way, the, the Neoarchean era is 2,800 million years ago. <laughs> so mm. what, what is that? 2.8 billion years ago? Yeah, 2.8 billion years ago. So this is a long time ago. Uh, then we're in the Proterozoic, Proterozoic Eon. Uh, the first era there is the Paleoproterozoic. And this is when we start dividing them up into epics. Or no, sorry. This is when we start dividing them up into periods. And so there are four periods in that one. The Sidarian, which is when we have an ox- the Great Oxidation Event, or also known as the Great Oxidation Event. It's an oxygen catastrophe. Um... <laughs> This is actually when uh, Earth's atmosphere and the ocean begin experience a rise in oxygen. Uh, so it changed the like biological makeup of the Earth because we get a lot more oxygen. We get the Ryacian period, then the Orocerian. The atmosphere during this becomes uh, more oxygenic, and um, we get some big asteroid impacts. And <clears throat> during this era, we see a lot of uh, what are called orogeny. These are the events that lead to structural deformation and uh, uh, events on the Earth's lithosphere that create essentially mountain ranges and other like plate tectonic events. Uh, so we've had like the, the Sleaford orogeny on the Australian continent, as well as the Bushveld igneous complex and a bunch of others. I'm not going to name all of them because there are a lot. <laughs> And uh, finally, the fourth period here is the Stetherian, and this is when we get the first complex single-celled life, protists with nuclei, and Francivillian biota. In this time, we also get the primordial supercontinent Columbia. So for me, I was like, oh, the first supercontinent was Pangea, and then it broke up and eventually got where we are. No, 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 no. They're <laughs> way before Pangea. There was even there was more stuff. So like Columbia is one of the Earth's ancient supercontinents, and it's kind of the first one to kind of be like, yeah, we're pretty sure that was there. Then we move into the Mesoproterozoic, meso meaning middle. This has three periods: the Kalimian, uh, we get the Baramudi orogeny there, as well as the MacArthur Basin, um, the Ectasian period. Uh, green algae colonies begin to grow in the seas. And then the Stenian period, where we get some narrow, highly metamorphic belts uh, due to the orogeny as Rodinia forms. Rodinia was another supercontinent. Uh, so Columbia kind of broke apart, and then Rodinia kind of shifted into a new uh, supercontinent there. Then we have the Neoproterozoic, the third era of the Proterozoic Eon. And that has three periods as well, the Tonian. So Rodinia continues to exist here, and we get more uh, mul we get multi-celled eukaryotes, which are organisms whose cells have a nucleus enclosed within a nuclear envelope. Uh, and we get a bunch more of uh, orogenies, like the Pan-African orogeny, the 
Adelaide Super Basin. A lot of Australian stuff going on during this early time. We get the Cryogenian period. Uh, this is the possible snowball Earth period, which is a hypothesis that proposes that during this um, like ice house climate for the Earth, the Earth's surface became entirely or nearly entirely frozen. We're not sure if that happened, but uh, it might have been. Fossils are rare, and this is when the Rodinia landmass begins to break up. And then the third period is the Ediacaran period. Uh, we have good fossils of the first multi-celled animals in this particular period. And basically, like, organisms begin to flourish in the seas. We get simple trace fossils of possible worm-like creatures, as well as sponges and trilobitomorphs. Hmm. So this is the last period before the Cambrian period. This is the last of the pre-Cambrian uh, time. So this is right before the Cambrian explosion. So that's the end of the pre-Cambrian super era. And while there are like fewer classifications in there, this time period covers, you know, the formation of the Earth up to about 635 million years ago. Mm -hmm. That's a really long time. <laughs> it's like billions of years, many billions of years. But now we're into the Phanerozoic Eon, which is the one we're still in. And the Phanerozoic Eon is divided into three eras, the Paleozoic, the Mesozoic, and the Cenozoic. So Paleo means like old. So the Paleozoic is the oldest of this eon. The Mesozoic is the middle of this eon. And then the Cenozoic is the current. So if you remember those prefixes, that can help you get that at least in order there. So those are the eras. So the period of the Paleozoic, the Cambrian period, we get diversification of life in the Cambrian explosion. This is where we get most, or not most, but this is where we start getting a lot of fossils, right? Different kinds of animals, vertebrates, sponges, creatures in the sea, giant, like large animals, as well as very small, like prokaryotes and protists and things like that. Fungi and algae continue. Uh, this is where, kind of out of old Rudinia, we get Gondwana, or Gondwana land. Uh, it begins to emerge. And we have a number of other orogenies on the Australian continent and around there. Uh, atmospheric CO2 is roughly 15 times the, the present day levels. So mm. it was pretty rough then, at least for us. Uh, and the... Cambrian period is divided into uh, four epochs, the Terranuvian, Series 2, Myolingian, and Ferongian. And then they are divided into ages, which I'm just going to list. The Fortunian, Stage 2, Stage 3, Stage 4, Wuliyuan, Drumian, Guzangian, Pybian, Zhangshanian, and Stage 10. <laughs> <laughs> so some have names, some don't. Uh, then we have the Ordovician period. That's just divided into early, middle, and late epochs, which is so much easier. Invertebrates diversify into many new types. We get long-shelled cephalopods. We get corals. <clears throat> we get articulate brachiopods. Bivalves, nautiloids, trilobites. Uh, lots of different animals, particularly in the sea. As well as the first green plants and fungi on land. And there's an ice age at the end of this period. And then the, the ages in there, just to list them out, are the Trimidocian, Floian, Dipingian, Darawillian, Sandbian, Catian, and Hernantian. Uh, after that, we have the Silurian period. This is divided into the Landaveri, Wenlock, Ludlow, and Pridoli epochs. 
This is when we get the first vascular plants, first millipedes and arthropleurids. Ugh. We get jawed fish, as well as many armored jawless fish in the sea, as well as sea scorpions, which reached large size, which is terrifying to me. Mm. Yeah, no thank you. Yeah. We also get trilobites and mollusks, and a number of other orogenies. And then the ages in there are the Rudanian, Aronian, Telikian, Shinewoodian, Homerian, Gorstian, and Ludfordian. After that, we get the Devonian period, which is divided into early, middle, and late epics. We get the first club mosses, horsetails, and ferns, as uh, well as the first seed-bearing plants, which we call progymnosperms. We get the first trees and the first wingless insects. Plant or sea life continues to diversify, uh, as well as we get the first tetrapods, but they're still aquatic. The ages in that period are Lakovian, Pragian, Emsian, Ifelian, Givetian, Frasnian, and Femenian. I've never heard of any of these. I'm just listing them out in case anyone has. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then we get the Carboniferous period that is divided into the Mississippian epic and the Pennsylvanian epic. <laughs> Uh, The Mississippian epic has large primitive trees in the first land vertebrates and uh, amphibious sea scorpions, which is cool Ah! now that they're on land, (laughs) Uh, as as well as uh, and we get coal forming coastal swamps. Early sharks are common as well, as well as uh, echinoderms. This is where trilobites and nautiloids begin to decline. The Pennsylvanian epic, we get winged insects like kind of suddenly emerge. Uh, amphibians are common. First reptiles and coal forests emerge. And highest ever atmospheric os- oxygen levels. The Pennsylvanian epic, of course, is named after how long it takes to drive across Pennsylvania. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a long drive. Yeah, it is. I mean, I got Kansas and Nebraska over here, though. Mm, yeah. Anyway, uh, the ages in those uh, epics are the Tornasian, Visian, and Serpicovian for the Mississippian, uh, Mississippian epic. And then we have Bashkirian, Moscovian, Kazimovian, and Gzelian in the Pennsylvanian epic. The last period of the Paleozoic era is the Permian period. That's divided into the Ciceralian, Guadalupian, and Lopingian epics. This is when the landmasses unite into the supercontinent Pangaea, and this apparently created the Appalachians. I did not know that, but the Appalachians are very... I knew they were old. I knew that's the reason they're sh- like shorter than the Rockies, is because they're much older. I didn't realize it was that old. We get parareptiles and more amphibians. Coal-age flora are replaced by cone-bearing gymnosperms, the first true seed plants, and mosses and beetles and such. This is the last time before the Permian-Triassic extinction event. So between the Permian era and the Triassic, which is next, there's a, ma- a, a major extinction event uh, known as the Great Dying. It was the Earth's most severe known extinction event, the extinction of 57% of biological families, 83% of genera, 81% of marine species, 70% of terrestrial vertebrate species. It's the largest known mass extinction event of insects as well. It went through three pulses or phases. They're not entirely, like, it's hard to know specifically, but uh, elevated temperatures, widespread oceanic anoxia, which is when the ocean loses dissolved oxygen, and ocean acidification 
due to large amounts of carbon dioxide that were emitted by the eruption of Siberian traps, which is just a, an area of volcanic like activity. Yeah. So we have that to look forward to. <laughs> um, so that happened at the end of the Permian. So this is going into the Mesozoic era. And the earliest period of that is the Triassic period. It's divided into early, late, and early, middle, and late epochs. Uh, this is when we get archosaurs. They are dominant on land as dinosaurs and in the air as pterosaurs. And we get ichthyosaurs and nonthosaurs in the, uh, in the seas. So this is when we get the first dinosaurs, right? The first real mammals and crocodilia appear and many modern insects after this extinction event. The ages in the Triassic are the Induan, the Olenekian, the Anasian, the Ladinian, the Carnian, the Norian, and the Ratian. The Triassic period, so the Mesozoic era, began approximately 251 million years ago. So we're, we're, we're barreling closer, closer to our time. Uh, after the Triassic, we have the Jurassic. The Jurassic was named because of the uh, Jura Mountains. The early scientists who thought about this era saw this, the strata in the Jura Mountains and like found fossils there. And so that era was named for that. Um, it's also divided into early, middle, and late epochs. This is when we get gymnosperms and ferns, uh, gymnosperms like conifers, very common. Many types of dinosaurs, such as uh, sauropods, carnosaurs, stegosaurs. Mammals are common but small. We get the first actual birds, as well as like lizards, as we understand them. Bivalves, ammonites, and belemites are abundant in the sea. And so a lot of land and sea life that we are more familiar with at this point. Uh, Pangaea breaks up into Gondwana and Laurasia during this time. The ages are the Hetangian, Cinemurian, Pliensbachian, Torsian, Alenian, Bajosian, Bethonian, Colovian, Oxfordian, Kimmeridgian, and Tithonian ages. And then the last period of the Mesozoic era was the Cretaceous, and that's just divided into the early and late epochs. Flowering pr plants proliferate, along with new types of insects. Uh, more modern teleost fish begin to appear. They're like ray-finned fish, so more like modern fish. Lots of sea life is still common. We get new types of dinosaurs like the Tyrannosaurus, Titanosaurus, Hadrosaurus, as well as modern crocodilians. And then birds coexist with pterosaurs. We also get monotremes, marsupials, and placental animals. Gondwana breaks up during this time, and that leads us into the modern, I should say modern era, the Cenozoic era. I forgot the ages. The ages in the Cretaceous are the Bariasian, Valanginian, Hotavirian, Baremian, Aptian, Albian, Cenomanian, Turonian, Coniacian, Santonian, Campanian, and Maastrichtian. And then we get to the Cenozoic era. So this begins about 66 million years ago, which if you think about like, you know, 65 million years is what we usually think of as like... Mm -hmm. Yep. Like the beginning of our like modern whatever. That's it. So this this is the Cenozoic era. Its periods are the Paleogene, Neogene, and Quaternary. We are currently in the Quaternary. The Paleogene mm -hmm. period is divided into the Paleocene, Eocene, and Oligocene epochs. The Paleocene epoch starts with the Chicxulub impact, which is what we think of as like what killed the dinosaurs, right? The asteroid that struck the Earth near the Yucatan Peninsula, <clears throat> setting off the KPG extinction event. After that, 
Mammals diversify into a number of lineages following the extinction of the non-avian dinosaurs, and the first large mammals begin to appear. In the Eocene, we get two transient events of global warming, and uh, we also get then a moderate and cooling climate, so we begin to get archaic mammals uh, that flourish during this time, as well as several modern mammal families. Uh, whales appear in the, in the oceans, uh, and we start to get the Earth really looking like we understand it. Right, the the continents are forming in in the shape that we kind of know, and ice caps on the on the the poles. In the Oligocene, we have the Grand Cooper extinction, which is another extinction event. Uh, this is this marks the transition from the Paleogene to the Neogene, yeah, periods. After this, we get rapid evolution and diversification of fauna, especially among uh, mammals. Mammals start to take over at this point. In the Neogene period, we have the Miocene epoch and the Pliocene epoch. I forgot the names of the ages. My bad. The ages in the Paleogene, Danian, Selandian, Thanetian, Eprisian, Lutetian, Bartonian, Priobanian, uh, Rupelian, and Chatian. So back to the Neogene. In the Miocene epoch, we have a lot of orogenies in the Northern Hemisphere. Forests slowly draw in massive amounts of uh, CO2 and lower the uh, carbon dioxide levels. During this time, modern mammal and bird families become recognizable. Horses and mastodons diverge, which I, I guess they come from some common ancestor. Uh, and we also get the ancestors of apes at this time. We get some warming, and then uh, we get some ice ages near the end of the Miocene. This is about uh, 11 million years ago. Gradual separation of human and chimpanzee ancestors here at the end of that. Uh, in the Pliocene epoch... Uh, we have some flooding of the Mediterranean basin. Ardipithecus emerges in Africa. The Greenland ice sheet develops, and Australopithecus becomes common in East Africa. And that brings us into the, the current period, the Quaternary period, that is divided into the uh, Pleistocene epoch and the Holocene epoch. The Pleistocene epoch, we get the start of the Quaternary glaciations, which is an alternating series of glacial and interglacial periods. So kind of like smaller ice ages. And uh, we also get Homo habilis during that time. This was two and a half million years ago. Uh, and that continues. We get uh, Homo erectus after that. And during the Pleistocene, specifically the Chibanian age, Homo sapiens appears. This is uh, about three quarters of a million years ago. We have a megafauna extinction. This is kind of like what we think of as the last ice age uh, at the mm -hmm. end of the Pleistocene. You know, this is this is when we lose the mastodons and the saber-toothed tigers and the all of the other you know ancient creatures that we know existed when Homo sapiens was around, but then they went away. And after that, we get the Holocene epoch, which is the one we're in right now, and that's divided into three ages: the Greenlandian, the North Grippian, and the Megalayan. Uh, the Greenlandian age, uh, we get into our current interglacial period. The Sahara Desert forms, and Neolithic agriculture begins. In the North Grippian Age, we have the uh, Holocene Climactic Optimum, which is a warm period, and that just kind of like allowed for the stabilization of the Earth. And you know, humans have been able to flourish because we haven't had to deal with extreme climates <laughs> and climate changes. But that's not this topic. Uh, this is when the Bronze Age happens, and finally, the Michaelian Age is what we are currently in. And uh, we experienced what was called, quote, a little ice age around the 
medieval period in European history. It was a, a slight cooling of the earth overall. But don't worry, we more than made up for it in the last 150 years. Mm. So, so there we are. <laughs> That's the list. So quick recap. Pre-Cambrian is most of the history, and it's before the Cambrian explosion, which is when a bunch of animal life came about. We are currently in the uh, Phanerozoic era, in the or Eon, in the Cenozoic era, in the Quaternary period, in the Holocene epoch. And that's how you break it down. It goes Eon, era, period, epoch, and then age. So there you go. All right. That was helpful. I, uh... The geologic time scale is large. Yeah, it's very big. <laughs> uh, not to be obvious, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, it was it was helpful to kind of put it all in context. Good, 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 good. All right, are you ready for a quiz? Um, am I ready for a quiz? I guess I'm ready for a quiz. Uh, this one, at least before the final is kind of a it doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with geologic ages don't worry about that okay Um, all right it's it's all actually uh because i was trying to think of like man what could i ask about and i kept coming across things that like that sounds kind of like something else so this is kind of like a jeopardy category of like it's not this it's that Ooh, fun okay so here we go question one it's not neogene it's this brand of water bottles that claim to be indestructible oh Nalgene. Yeah, you got the first one. Yes, yes. Uh, I looked a little bit into Nalgene. Developed for, like, lab equipment. Because it doesn't shatter. And it can be, like, sterilized easily and cleaned. Yeah. Apparently they've gotten into hot water more recently for their uh, plastics potentially leaching BPAs and other, like, Mm hormone-affecting stuff. But, yeah. No no Boy Scout would miss that one for sure. Nalgenes are essential. In the outdoors. Yeah. All right, cool. Ten points. Uh, question two. It's not quaternary, but quatermain, as in Alan Quatermain. We may recognize this fish- fictional character from the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie from 2003 starring Sean Connery in the role. However, this famed English adventurer first appeared in what 1885 novel by H. Ryder Haggard? Oh, no. I'm not sure I know it. I feel like it's something swashbuckly, but I don't have a title coming to mind. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to pass. Okay, that is King Solomon's Mines. Oh, okay. It's like a, you know, a kind of an old, like classic, you know, adventure story, kind of in the, the old, like, Lost World sort of vain he he was one of the yeah. earlier writers in that style cool all right so my brain was going in the wrong direction with swashbuckly stuff yeah all right i i've heard of that but i was not going to get to the correct answer okay he also wrote a series called she hmm. um i looked a little bit into it um at first i was like oh cool it's like all about a female protagonist like at that time period and everything but it's also basically uh it's it's this like kind of like lost civilization in like inner africa that is overseen by a white queen and Mm. it's got some problems i'm just gonna leave it at that yeah but it's interesting at least anyway yeah king solomon's minds question three it's not triassic 
It's this variation on a popular game in which the bones have three sides, not six. And by six, I mean four. I'm an idiot. Have three sides, not four. The the what have three sides? The bones. The bones. Huh. I feel like I should be able to get it. I'm going to keep noodling on it. It also uses numbers instead of pips. I don't know if that helps. Huh. All right. Um... All right. So I think the popular game in question is dominoes. Try this. What's the variation? Oh, oh, wait a second. What is I I can I think I can picture the game now, but I can't remember what it's called. And like I keep looking at Triassic, and I'm like Triassic. That's uh, <laughs> that's not it. And the game that I'm thinking of is not the right one because I'm pretty sure the game I'm thinking of is Rummy Cube. <laughs> it's not it. All right, I'm gonna give up. Oh, I feel like you're. It's Triominoes. Tri- oh, Triom. Oh, I should have just I should have just made up a word. Yeah, I felt like you were so close. Ah. Uh. Yeah, because you were right. It was, it was dominoes. They call them bones. A dom- I, that eventually came to me. I'm like, yeah. bones. <laughs> like an <in> operation. <laughs> oh. uh, I should have just made up a word. I would have probably gotten it right. Hmm. Although I might have said triminos. I probably would have given, given yeah. it to you at that point. Anyway. Yeah. All right. All right. Question four. It's not Messinian. It's this composer of the Quartet for the End of Time. And Wazo Esotique. Oh. Um, the word that it's not keeps throwing me off. Sorry. Um, the composer. But, uh, I feel like it's like Messian or something like that. Is that? Yeah. It, okay, it's, cool. They pronounce it Messian. But yes, that's yes, how it's yeah. spelled. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got it. Nice. Yay. Yes. All right. Huh. Those, uh. Those are interesting pieces. Wazo Esotique is just, it's French for exotic birds. And it's just, he transcribed a bunch of different bird song and put them all together in a piece of music. It's very interesting. Ooh, that's so cool. It is cool. I don't know how listenable it really is, but it's interesting. And the Quartet for the End of Time was written uh, in a concentration camp uh, during, oh, mm, during the yeah. Holocaust. So that is where that came from. Anyway, nice. You got it. So 20 points. Well, actually 30 points because you guessed the quiz. So All right, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh-huh. I forgot right. that. Question five. It's not Aptian, but this possibly oldest remaining road in the world. It allowed for troops to move from Rome to Southeast Italy as a staging point for many expansive campaigns in the Mediterranean. Ah, that is the Appian Way. That right? is the Appian Way, which apparently was just named for some, like, Roman politician. Like, his name, he was like something, something Appia or something. So that's why it's the Appian okay. way. Like, we, yeah. we have the Eisenhower tunnel here that goes through the Rockies on I-70. And at some point, people would be like, what's an Eisenhower? I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what's a Mario Cuomo? That's right. <laughs> what it, is, that, is, that the, is that the plumber? Is that the, yeah. is that the guy in the video games? Anyway, <laughs> uh, cool. So you're at 40 points going into the final. And the category, this is not a sounds like, this is just a question. The category, I'm going to go with paleontological discoveries. Is that a word? I'll go with Hmm. discoveries. (laughs) Ooh, I'm not 
sure I'm super up to date on my paleontological discoveries, but uh, let's wager 30. Okay. All right, here's the question. Homo erectus, one predecessor of modern humans, emerged during the Calabrian Age of the Pleistocene era. The first Homo erectus fossil discovered by modern scientists was in 1839 by Dutch anatomist Eugène Dubois. He had set out to Southeast Asia to find the missing link between apes and humans. Uh, And this was the first fossil hominin found as a result of a directed expedition. What do we call that fossil, more likely for the location it was found than for its preferred morning beverage? Hmm. I'm not sure I know it. Oh, no. I was heading toward... I was hoping we were heading toward Lucy, because I know that one. Preferred. All right. I'm not... I'm going through, like, coffee origin places. In the hopes that that'll get me somewhere. Um, uh, where is that one? All right. No. All right. We're going to go with the one that fits morning beverage, I think, maybe slightly better than, than what I'm getting from the geography. Uh, and I'll, I'll try Java Man. Java Man is correct. Yes. Way to go. Yes. Right, I've got like a list here that's like Java, Sumatra, Ethiopia. Yes. Uh, yay. Yeah. Mo- uh, Mocha should have been on here. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Way to go. <laughs> yes. Discovered on Java. Yay. Uh, wow. You you did it. You pulled it out there. Whew. That was impressive. That was that was uh, slightly terrifying, but uh, I got it. Yes. I was getting worried there and, and then you got it. Yeah. Nice job. 70 points. How about that? Ah, there we go. That feels good. All right. Nice job, Emily. Thank you, Kyle. And thank you for making a podcast with me and for a great deep dive and quiz. Uh, And thank you, listeners, for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you would be so kind. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's at patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who watch Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. That's right. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. We'll be back with you next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm-hmm.